And as I mentioned, this morning we are continuing our series through our sermon series called The Ten Commandments. I love your law. And this morning we are looking at the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day. And just as a, as a brief disclaimer, I am obviously not, this is a, it's a huge theological topic, and I am obviously not going to be able to address every single issue pertaining to the Sabbath, but what I am addressing, I'm really excited about, and I hope and, and pray it'll be profitable for, for all of us this morning. So let me go ahead and read this text, and then I'll pray. So Exodus 20, beginning in verse 8. This is what the Lord says to us this morning through the servant Moses. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord, he blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray. Well, Father, this morning, as we talk about the Sabbath, as we talk about the rest, as we talk about rest, Lord, we come to you as your people who are weary, who labor, and who are heavy laden. And even just this morning, Lord, as we confess, Confess together from, from Matthew 11, just hearing everyone say Matthew 11, 28 through 30, it was, it was beautiful. It was just a reminder that all of us are spiritually, physically tired and worn out. And we're bringing our confession to you. We're confessing this. We're admitting this, Lord, that we need rest. And it just eludes us time after time. So this morning, would you just speak to us through your word and would you provide us the rest that we so desperately need? In Jesus' name, amen. So the Sabbath, it's, it's a day, one in seven, given to us, set aside specifically for the purpose of rest and worship the purpose of, of worship and rest, that this is how we are to spend our time on the Sabbath. And, and I realize I, what I might be saying right now isn't anything new to you, or it's not anything perhaps that you, know, you don't already know. But for a sec, I want to just talk about the need for the Sabbath. Why is there a need for the Sabbath? And of, of course, the most obvious answer is there's a need for the Sabbath because there's work. Because work is a part of our lives and it's not good for us to be engaged in work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right? Another, another answer to this is why there is a need for the Sabbath is because, you know, God simply says that there's a need and there's a need and God says there's a need. So we do it. God commands it. And yes, I would wholeheartedly affirm those. I, I agree that those, those are true and reason of an, in and of itself for us to keep the Sabbath. But perhaps what I want to point us our attention to, and perhaps the less obvious answer to why we need the Sabbath, is because our lifestyle, our lives are ones of total work. 
total work of, of this, this propensity for us to just be totally and completely defined and wrapped up by our work, by what we do. That's why there's a need. That's why there's a need. Whether you are sitting at a desk all day or you're at home wrangling the kiddos, you may have just retired from work. You may be near retiring from work. The work that we do or the work that we once did, it's a significant part of our lives. Our work, it shapes us. And the average American, it spends you know, anywhere from 45 to 50 hours of at, at work each week. And it's not uncommon for some of us in here to be working 70 or 80 or even, dare I say, 100 hours a week. We spend a lot of time working, working to rear children, working to put more Hondas out on the road, working at creating software for education companies, working to start new churches. That a lot of our time our emotional energy, our emotional investment is spent and wrapped up in our work. And because we spend so much time in our work, there's this, there's this temptation, and I can identify with this, but there's this t- temptation for us to be just completely and utterly defined by what we do. There's this temptation for us, for our, our, our identities to be just completely built upon how well things are going at work, or how not so well things are going with work, right? The question, what do you do for a living, when someone asks you that, right? We we ask people that all the time, but that question, what you do for a living, it can turn into, what are you good for? That's what we can hear when someone asks us that question. What you do for a living turns into, "What what are you good for? What are you good for? And this is a trap. It's a, it's a snare for us. And you see, work was given to us before the fall, before sin entered the world. Ad, Adam, he was charged to work, to tend to the Garden of Eden, to be a culture shaper and a maker, to find dignity and satisfaction and enjoyment in, in being a gardener. We see this in Genesis 2.15. And then after the fall, after the fall, because of the curse of sin, We now come face to face with work and it's tough, it's cursed, it's more difficult than it should be. Sweat, it drips from our brow and in our fallenness, we take something like work, we take something like work and we allow it to just completely define us. Our identity, it gets so intertwined, right, that we, what we do becomes who we are and this is human nature 101, It's, it's, it's default, we grasp for for significance, for, for digni- dignity. And Madonna, you may have heard of her, uh, but there's, there's this quote by Madonna that I just have found just so insightful, just the brutal honesty in which she shares about her life and, and her work. And she says, she says this, I have so many regrets and I have none. I wish I hadn't done a lot of things, but on the other hand, if I hadn't, I wouldn't be here. But then again, nobody works the way that I work. I have an iron will. And all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. Boom, we could stop there. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a, as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm, I'm mediocre and uninteresting. 
And I find a way to get myself out of that again and again and again and again. My drive in this life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. If we listen to what Madonna is saying, she's asking, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Again and again, my, life in, my drive in this life is from this fear, horrible fear of being mediocre. And we're not Madonna, obviously, but we ask ourselves those same questions. We deal with that very same temptation, this constant cycle of having to prove our worth, of having to live up to these expectations that we put on ourselves, the expectations of, of others, our work, our total work, just totally defining us. So when we ask the question, why do we need the Sabbath? And we need the Sabbath because it frees us from our total work lifestyle. It tells us who we are. That's, what this, that's part of what the Sabbath does is it frees us from this total work lifestyle. It, it tells us who we are. It gives us this identity as the people of God. Look at, look at our text. This is what verse 11 is getting at. This is what, 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 is, what Moses is doing. He is grounding the Sabbath in the creation account. In verse 11, he says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And giving us the fourth commandment, this is what Moses is doing. He's pointing us back to the beginning. He's pointing us back to the creation account of Genesis 1 and 2. And in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, God, what he's doing here in, in his days of, of creation, he's giving us a pattern. He's giving to us a pattern for our work and rest, a rhythm for our work and our rest. And this is what Genesis 2, 1 through 3 says. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He set that day apart. He made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So by observing the Sabbath, by arranging our week of work and rest according to the pattern set forth in creation, we are actually communicating something. We're, we're actually communicating something about who we are as the people of God. We're communicating that we belong to God, that we are part of his family. There's a, a friend of, of ours, and she had this really fun tradition Growing up, every week, her and her family would go over to the grandmother's house, grandmother's house, uh, Grandma Fran, and they would sit around the table and they have this wonderful homemade Italian dinner. Every week, this was something that their family did. They would sit around and eat big bowls of pasta, homemade from scratch, homemade marinara. It's, it's really easy to make a good homemade marinara, right? But, but a great homemade marinara, that's... That's, that's a little bit more uncommon. But they would, anyway, sit around and have this big family dinner. And this kind of quickly became, in their family, known as Thursdays with Fran. This is just what they would do. This was what it meant 
to be a smith. This was the family rhythm that they had every week that they would do this. They would gather and enjoy time with one another. So God, giving to us, giving to us the Sabbath, we are telling ourselves, we're telling others as well, that this is what it means to be the people of God, that we aren't defined by our work. We're not defined by, by what we do, by what we produce. We are defined by our Heavenly Father, that we belong to Him. And now, as with any aspect or part of our Christian theology, the, the Sabbath, it, it runs this risk of being misunderstood, that we can get so caught up on what is and what isn't permitted on the Sabbath. And I'm, I'm going to address this in, in a bit. Uh, later in the sermon, but we can get so caught up on what is or what isn't permitted on the Sabbath, we can get so zeroed in on that to the extent that we lose sight of the true biblical meaning of the Sabbath. And when we get so zeroed in on that, the Sabbath, it becomes a burden instead of a delight. We see in our, in our text, this is how how God is talking about the Sabbath, that it's to be this day of delight. It's this day that he's given us one in seven, that he's set it aside and that he's blessed it. It's for our, for our good. So the Sabbath, it's, it is much more than a day in which we cease from our work. That, that yes, that that is a part of it, but it, but it goes beyond that. And I want us to keep pressing into this full, the, the fullest meaning of, of Sabbath work and, and what that means and what even God is intending to do on the Sabbath. And the goal, the goal of the Sabbath, it's not just non-work. It's not just that we cease from our ordinary labors. It's not just this, this idleness. It, it can't be. We, we've already mentioned that the Sabbath it, and it, part of the Sabbath, what it does is it tells us who we are. We've, we've already mentioned that. It tells us that we are, are God's people, defined by him, not by our work. So, so its goal simply can't be a day for non-work. So let's understand the Sabbath. And, and to do that, I want us to, to consider and to look at how Jesus, how he interacts with the Sabbath in the gospel accounts. In Luke chapter 6, I don't have this, but uh, so just, just, just listen. In Luke chapter 6, we have these, these back-to-back accounts that tell us of how Jesus is viewing and how he's interacting with the Sabbath. And in the first account, verses 1 through 5, the disciples, they are hungry. They haven't eaten, and they have these hunger pangs. So what they do is they eat grain on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, they're so bothered by this that they say, you know, you know what you're doing it's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. This is what they say to them. And the disciples, they were harvesting this grain because they were hungry. They wanted to eat. They wanted to meet that basic human need. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, he defends them. And then he, he talks about the account in the Old Testament where David entered the temple and took the bread of presence and he took it and he gave it to his men because they were hungry. That's what Jesus does. He defends his disciples. And in the passage, immediately after that, in verses 6 through 11, there's this man who has a withered hand. And all this is happening on on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, like they always do, they're watching Jesus to see what he'll do. 
And what do we think Jesus does? Does he just turn away from the guy? Does he just walk away? No. Jesus says to the man on the Sabbath, stretch out your hand. And the man's hand was restored. Jesus, he heals the man's hand. He, he restores the man physically. But he does more than this. He gives this, this man a dignity. Because surely this man had been pushed to the margins, the fringes of society. So what we see Jesus do is that he brings this physical healing, but also this, this, this societal healing. He dignifies the man. Jesus defends the disciples when they were hungry. He restores the man whose hand is withered. He heals it. So the goal of the Sabbath, according to Jesus, is wholeness. It's wholeness. That's the goal of the Sabbath. It's wholeness. It's, it's restoration that Jesus came to make humanity whole. Jesus came to make humanity whole. And Jesus, in Mark chapter 2, says that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. That the Sabbath day, it belongs to him. And in Mark 2, 27 through 28, it says this, The Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It was a gift to and for mankind. The Sabbath, it's God's merciful provision for his creation. It was to be a a day of of blessing for and and to of humanity. It was God's merciful provision for a creation that is tired, that is worn out, that is in need of rest. So our our resting on the Sabbath, it points us toward wholeness. Our resting on the Sabbath, it points us towards restoration. So the Sabbath, it's a day for rest. It's also a day for worship. If, If what God is intending to do through the Sabbath is to make us whole, is to restore us, then the saints gathering together for public worship, it it makes perfect sense because our Christian worship is restorative. And here's what I mean by that. Our, Our Christian worship, it is restorative. Excuse the analogy, but picture this. All week long, we walk around as if we're a piece of Swiss cheese. All right, picture that, right? This world, it leaves its mark on us. It wounds us. And in some weeks, we spent the majority of the week or even the entire week trying to put ourselves back together again. All week long, we are faced with these questions and these, these decisions on, on how to live and, and what to believe. Our work tells us you are what you produce. Our parenting tells us you are how your kids behave. There's all these competing narratives out there. And we're t- tasked with the challenge of navigating them every single week. And these are narratives that we've lived in for years. Narratives that we just can't shake. We're so used to this idea of total work. We're so used to this idea of walking around like Swiss cheese. Yet God, he gives us one day, one day in seven, when the saints gather together publicly to hear the true narrative. The narrative of the scriptures. We pray 
here in public worship. We, we sing to the Lord. We, we participate in the sacraments, both the Lord's Supper and, and baptism. We hear the word read and proclaimed. Prayer, it thaws our cold and calloused hearts. Prayer has, has the power to, to change our desires. When we are feeling tempted, we can pray that God would change our desires and give us a way out. The word of God, it washes over us here on Sunday morning in worship. The word of God, it refreshes us. It's, it does its work of refining. We do all of this to reinforce, to tell us who we are in Christ. That's what public worship does. It tells us who we are in Christ. It tells us that we are not what we produce. We are not how our kids behave. We are not our sin. We are not our shame. We are not our failures or achievements or successes. We are not our bank accounts or our debts. We are not wannabes. We are already haves. That's what's being reinforced here on Sunday mornings. It is telling us who we already are in Christ. Christ, that we're no longer wannabes, that we belong to him. It's beautiful, beautiful news that when the saints gather together on Sunday, that we, we put this true narrative in front of all of us. It's this narrative of the gospel that we might internalize it, that we might hope it, that we might believe it that we might realize what is already true of us now that we are in Christ. Sabbath rest, Sabbath worship, they make us whole. They restore us. That this is the goal according to Jesus. This is the goal of, of Sabbath. It's wholeness, it's restoration. And what this also means is that the Sabbath rest, it's not just confined to one day. It's, not, it's no longer just confined to one day because we look at the New Testament and we see Jesus enters the scene and Jesus brings with him a rest that applies to all the days of the week. And it's a rest that is characteristic of his kingdom. That the kingdom of God, that Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom that he is ushering in is one of rest, that his kingdom is restful. And this type of rest, it can only be received from Christ. He brings it. He alone has the authority to give it. Augustine, as we made note in our confession, but he was the, a fourth and fifth century theologian. He famously said in the opening chapter of his confessions, and we, we read this this morning, for you have made us, O Lord, for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And that was in the opening chapter of his book called Confessions. And then we see immediately after this, he goes on asking God, God, how on earth do I obtain this rest? Give me understanding. I want this rest. My heart is so restless. Help me understand how I get this rest. And you see that he concludes at the end of that chapter by saying this. He says, I will seek you, O Lord, 
and call upon you. I call upon you, O Lord, in my faith, which you have given to me, which you have inspired in me through the humanity of your son and through the ministry of your preacher. And what he goes on to conclude is that this rest, it's not something we innately possess. It's, it's alien to us. It's something that, that must be given to us. And it's given to us in Christ. It's given to us in Christ when Jesus makes our dead hearts beat alive. And when we call upon him, he brings this type of rest. The kingdom of God, it's, it's a restful kingdom. Jesus fulfills and fills up and, and transforms the fourth commandment so that rest, it's no longer confined to one day a week, but it's a rest that we possess in Christ always. Always. This is what is true of us now that we're in Christ that we can be at rest. So what does this look like practically for us today? How do we keep the Sabbath today? So my goal here in this section in talking about application and talking about how we observe and remember and apply the Sabbath to our lives today, my, my goal here isn't to give you this exceedingly long laundry list of what is and what is not acceptable for the Sabbath. Laundry lists are burdensome, right? My, my goal here is not to give you just this long laundry list of what is and what isn't accepted. I want the, the Sabbath to not be a burdensome, but to be a delight, to be a blessing, to be a, God, a day that God has set aside and given to and for us, right? So instead of doing that, what I want us to, to do, what I want to help us walk through is, is giving us a, a framework for the Sabbath, giving us a, a framework that would help us think theologically about the Sabbath and what it means for today. So how do we keep the Sabbath today? Well, as we talked about, the goal of the Sabbath, it's, it's wholeness. It is restoration. This is why we rest from our ordinary labors. We, we trust God enough with our work to, to detach from it once a week. And this is also why we worship together publicly, because Christian worship, it is restorative. It, it puts the true narrative in front of us so that we may realize what is already true of us in Christ. Well, so we talked about rest, talked about worship. Can we, can anything else happen on the Sabbath? Now, so New City, we are a, con a confessional church. And what I mean by that is that the, the churches and its leaders together in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, are tied together theologically by a confession. It's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I think that this is a wonderful, beautiful thing. You know, for instance, when people walk through the doors, they, they know what we believe. It's like, it's, it's out there. It's, it's right there for them. And it ties us together and brings this un unity of all the churches and its leaders in our denomination. Now, of course, there are some wonderful, good people who have disagreeing views on the confession, on, on what it says. And our denomination, it allows us 
to have differences to our confession as long as they don't strike at the vitals of religion. I love that phrase, right? So as long as they aren't differences in terms of the deity of Christ, right? If someone says that, that Jesus isn't Lord, that is not an acceptable difference. Obviously, right, we, we want to all affirm that Jesus is indeed God. And our confession, I think here, it, it helps us to, to think theologically about what else can happen on the Sabbath. What else is the Sabbath a day for? And it talks about, it talks about a few things here. First, uh, works of necessity, right? Works of necessity are permitted on the Sabbath. This includes medical personnel, hospitals, nurses, physicians, emergency personnel, fire and police, it would not be good if these institutions are closed on Sundays, right? It it just, it wouldn't be good. So works of necessity include include, uh, vocations and careers such as that. Works of necessity include parenting. Sorry, parents, we can't just stop rearing children on the Sabbath and say, God said to, right? We, we can't, we can't do that. And I don't think anyone ever, in, you know, is thinking about doing that. Well, maybe sometimes, sometimes I think about doing that, but right. So we can't cease from doing that on the Sabbath, but other, other works of necessity include, for instance, perhaps you are the sole breadwinner of your family and you just are in a, a career right now that you have no control over your schedule. You have you don't even have the ability to request off on, some day, on Sunday. And, and I know that there are many of us in here who have those types of jobs, who have those types of flexibility, and their manager offers it. And they're able to, to refrain from work on a Sunday. So perhaps you're in this position where you're the, the sole breadwinner of your family, and just requesting off on Sunday just isn't a possibility. And the reality is, is that your family needs that money to live, right? This isn't a surprise. So should there be an option to to request off further down the line? I would recommend trying to do that. But again, if, if you are in this position where you have no control over your schedule, then that is a work of necessity. You need money to live, to function. So the confession talks about works of necessity. It also talks about works of mercy. This is right? Looking at Jesus's earthly ministry. This is what he does on the Sabbath. This is what he does with the disciples. He allows, he feeds them. They're hungry. They need to eat. So he allows them to eat and then he defends them. And also we see Jesus, he just, he restores people. Many of of the healings that he did happened on the Sabbath and they intentionally happened on the Sabbath so that Jesus could show us the true purpose, the true goal of the Sabbath. So works of mercy include, right, loving your neighbor as yourself. You can't, right, we can't like get out of this one, the get out of jail card is, sorry, I can't love my my spouse on the Sabbath because God told me not to, right? We, we We can't do that. So works of mercy include loving your neighbor as yourself, loving the poor, opening your home for hospitality, serving others as Christ has served you. This is another thing that, obviously we see is, is permitted on the Sabbath. And the last thing, I'm going to end here, and it's the most controversial, so a good place for me to end. But the last thing our confession talks about is recreation. Recreation. And personally, I believe that it's okay for us to play out in the yard with our children. I believe it's 
restorative to go for a walk around the block or to run or play soccer. And this is where I personally would differ from the confession. And this, maybe 3% of you are interested in this and that's okay. It'll be, it'll be on the recording and then I'm safe. So I feel like I just need to say this, but recreation according to our confessional standards is prohibited, uh, is prohibited on the Sabbath unless, unless you take an exception, which I have done. But here's, here's another catch, is that I understand and would respect the viewpoint of someone who comes to me and says that I don't do recreation on the Sabbath. So I'm not going to be divisive over this by any means. So if this means if you were to come to me and say, my family loves to do recreation together on the Sabbath. We love to go outside and play. We love to go for walks. I would say to you, that's great. I'm glad you find that restful. And this also means, though, that if you came to me and you said, my family refrains from recreation on the Sabbath, what do you think I'd say? I'd say, that's great. I'm glad you find that restful. So my point here in helping us to think theologically about such a big topic, that there's just so much nuance in our application and how we live this out today. My point here is for us to, to think theologically about it. And as I was finishing up the, the last kind of few things on my sermon this morning, I thought of it like this. That take this framework that, that, I'm, that I'm sharing, that I'm giving you, and think of it as if it's a tomato cage. Right? What good is a tomato plant without its cage? I don't know anyone in here, maybe except Walt, who can grow tomato plants without a cage. It just becomes very hard. So this framework that we're learning on how the Sabbath applies to us today, it's like that tomato cage. And what's, what's the whole goal of that tomato cage? It's so that the plant might bear fruit. It's so the plant might bear fruit. And thinking through this theologically, it's so that we might experience wholeness on the Sabbath. So that we might experience and have fruit in our lives. So if that's helpful, great. If not, sorry. There's obviously more I could say on that. But the Sabbath is this day meant to be of great benefit to you and to yours. A day in which we participate in the work that God is doing to bring restoration to our lives in this world. Let's pray.